Welcome, everyone, to the weekly edition of ESG Now, where we explore the natural environment, our society, and a company's governance structure through the lens of the weekly news. I am your host, Mike DiCibato, and this week, Bentley Kaplan and Kevin Kwok join me to discuss the rolling blackouts in South Africa caused by the state-run utility, ESCOM. And then Andrew Young and I discuss the abandonment of private prisons. Thanks, as always, for joining us. Stay tuned. Okay, so for our first story, South Africa was hit by power cuts this Wednesday after a number of generating units broke down, according to Reuters. But ESCOM, which is a state-owned energy utility that provides 95% of South Africa's power, has been an issue for a long time. Here is a quick summary of its problems. It has over $17 billion in bonds outstanding, including another $9 billion in loans with interest payments looming that they are having trouble paying. It has had 10 CEOs in a decade. Its middle-class customers have elected to go off-grid and use renewables because it has continued to struggle to meet demand. Two of its largest coal-fired power plants that were supposed to be operational in 2015 are really over budget and still not done. And it's holding South Africa's investment-grade country rating in its atrophied fingers. To save the company, the government is proposing a $5 billion in cash injection over the next three years with an additional $4.2 billion through 2021. But before we get into that, I got to do my stack card for ESCOM because remember at MSCI ESG Research, we rate companies on their exposure to the environmental, social, and governance risk factors on a scale of triple C to triple A. And ESCOM is rated a triple C. This is due to corruption scandals, poor governance practices, and the massive debt I mentioned. But we have Bentley, who is joining us on the ground from Cape Town. And Bentley, before we get into all this investment and ESG stuff, I'd like to hear first from you about what it's like being on the ground in South Africa. How are these blackouts treating you? Yeah, sh- sure. So the, you know, the the rolling blackouts is something that we were very used to a few years ago. And there was a little bit of a reintroduction earlier this year and then it just dropped again, um largely without warning. And I think that's the the aspect that has p- people quite worried because it's a you know it's a this lack of transparency about what's actually happening at the company, and it's this massive complex utility. Lots of things can go wrong, and then when they do, it's not always clear that the, the message we're getting is what's actually happening. You know, but for you know for practical purposes, you know, just imagine that from a on a daily basis, you're losing electricity for two to three hours a day, um, at different times of the day. Um, you know, which can be anything from a minor convenience. Uh, to something pretty critical uh, if you are, you know, dependent on electricity for any any kind of medical equipment, um, you know, or, you know, even just cooking for your for your kids at night. There's a South African expression, a boer mark a plan, which basically means a dude makes a plan. Well, shoot, ESCOM is the dude in South Africa, right, Bentley? I mean, they're not just a pure play utility, correct? They're kind of a different beast. Sure. Yeah. So, it's a it's a it's a it's a completely integrated utility um which i think uh, sort of around the world definitely in developed markets is is quite uncommon so escom basically controls everything from sourcing the fuel for power to delivering it into households and businesses so that's you know that is that is everything it's transmission distribution um included which means that it's very difficult for um any kind of competition in the market and for a long time, you know, that's that's been the way ESCOM has operated. Where it becomes a problem is when, you know, things things are not being um, calculated correctly. And that would include the, the price of electricity has been 
very low for very long. And that's, that's, you know, eventually catching up with the company. And then, you know, plus there are a whole bunch of different other factors. I think, you know, the, the, the headline items here are the, the sort of the government's, uh, very close relationship with ESCOM. So, so not just in the fact that it's a state owned entity, but the fact that there are, it's a very high proportion of unionized employees and unions are a big, uh, sort of a big, uh, proportion of the of the current government's uh, power structure so it's difficult for for you know for the government to go in and actually meddle too much with escom um, and similarly there are a lot of employees at escom that have business interests related to um, the coal the coal supply chain so that has also stopped um, a lot of the you know reforms that were needed you know in terms of developing renewables and that kind of thing um, so and you know <laughs> you add on top of that you know it's systemic corruption and you really do have a pretty bad recipe for things um, now you know when it comes to a situation like like a utility um, you know that's involved with the government like that uh, I like to think of it as, uh, you know, taking your vitamins, like you've got to take them every day. You can't just, you know, eat 50 in one day to try and make up for, you know, for lost time. And that's kind of what we're seeing here. It's this, you know, this big slow train that's all of a sudden screaming towards the station. Um, And I don't think anyone's entirely sure what's going to happen when it gets there. Right. Matters are now made worse because according to Reuters and other news outlets, Moody's is about to downgrade the country to junk bond status. Moody's is actually the last remaining major credit rating agency that has South Africa at an investment grade bond status. The other two, Fitch and S&P, have already downgraded the country, which is the exact reason Kevin Kwok is joining us today because... He is our fixed income expert. And Kevin, I'm curious about what happens when a country or a company hits junk bond status. Uh, And then we will tie it into the utilities and the general milieu around South Africa. Yeah, I mean, once you get to a junk bond status, especially in the triple C side, the um, the interest rates that are tied to it are so intense that most people don't have the liquidity to actually continue those payments on an annual basis. So even just looking at South Africa itself, you said that you said that um, you know Moody's has the last investment grade bond, and when you look at the actual credit rating, it's actually at the border right now. It is the bottom border of investment grade. So it is really on the verge of losing its investment grade status. So once it loses its investment grade status, it actually could trigger a huge sell-off. So billions of rands of bonds, and this could push the government borrowing costs a lot higher. Um, so, but thinking about transitioning, you know, kind of back to what Bentley was saying that, you know, there is a huge amount of mining and a lot of unions over there where it does make the country of South Africa very inflexible in transitioning. Yes, and for utilities, there, there's not only a need for operational updates, but also updates to energy efficiency. And I want to read a quote from a really excellent utilities report written by our very own Kenji Watanambi and Valina Karazova. Apologies to both if I mucked up those names. Uh, they are probably asleep right now. Quote, time is running out to set a strategy on decarbonizing for utilities, Both the closing of the decarbonization policy gap and the increased competitiveness of renewables may increase pressures on utilities to decarbonize, but companies cannot wait for new policy signals to act, as it would take them over a decade to transform their energy mix due to the high capital intensity of this sector, the utility sector, and the long asset lives involved, end quote. So at the moment, according to ESCOM, in 2018, a About 91% of its generated energy was from cold fire stations, high carbon emissions in that. So Bentley, the South African government is putting vast sums of money into ESCOM to keep it running. And if there's a need to transition away from coal in the coming decades, aren't these sums being put toward the wrong fuel? 
I think, you know, this is in some ways also, um, I wouldn't say a blessing, but definitely an opportunity because this economy where South Africa is, is not dissimilar from a lot of emerging economies that have got a lot of interest in, you know, in coal and in fossil fuels. And it's this question of how do you turn around how do you, you know, invest in renewables when you are economically depressed? Like, how do you do that? Um, so this is still a very developing story, but there are there are whispers and rumors coming around um, about how the South African government is going to try and secure some kind of blended funding model, uh, which would um, include in their provisors about you know increasing investments in renewables and doing it at a sustainable you know sustainable level um, over a you know a ten or twenty year period, which would then plug that you know that massive debt gap that the, that the company has. Um, and if that model or some, something similar is successful, it could be something that you know other emerging economies could use. Um, so I feel we're very much at a fork in the road, but it's a very wide fork. You know, going left and going right are two very different things. Um, and I'm not sure where we're going to end up. Okay, so take us out here. How should investors look at aging utilities like ESCOM in the age of climate disaster and the push toward a low carbon economy? Let's round this out. I mean, when you think when you think about aging utilities like ESCOM, it's really are they putting in the policies and the programs in place to really transition to a cleaner economy? So right now, as we talked about, you know, mining, you know, it's still a big effort within um, South Africa, and also, you know, with the issues of South Africa, talking about employment, you know, um, the unemployment, and then you still have the pay hikes along with the government support of these state-owned entities. You really have it's um, you really do have this um, stagnant growth when it comes to uh, GDP growth in the future. Yeah, I mean, t- t- I totally echo what Kevin said. I think the you know the the question of a utility that is aging and especially one that's dependent on fossil fuels becomes a question of how well they can answer you know, what's the exit strategy or what's their pivot strategy? And if they can't do either, then I think that's, you know, that's where the big problems are. So there's definitely an, an environmental question in terms of their, you know, carbon emissions and their renewables policy, but very much also on governance as well in terms of, you know, how how prepared they are to take tough decisions and who's there to ask the hard questions. And, I, you know, ESCOM has been devoid of, of people asking the hard questions, at least at the right levels. Uh, and I think that's that's probably the main reason driving this and everything else just follows on. Kevin, thank you so much for joining me. No, thank you, Mike and Bentley. Bentley, thank you so much for joining me today. Always a pleasure, Mike. All right, for our second story, we're just going to give a quick update to the saga with private prisons because we're going to release a long form on the business model at the end of the month. Okay, so over the last couple of months, eight banks, J.P. Morgan Chase, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, SunTrust, BNP Paribas, Fifth Third Bank Corp., Barclays, and PNC have been dropping any future financial relationship with the private prison industry in the U.S., including its biggest players, CoreCivic and GeoGroup, which is a pretty big deal for prisons, not really such a big deal for banks because the prisons make up a small portion of their lending portfolio, but hey, they got a great public reception from it. So for our stat card today, I thought I would do the GeoGroup because... We talk about it a lot in this week's episode. Remember, MSCI ESG rates companies on their exposure to environmental, social, and governance risk factors on a scale of triple C to triple A. And the GEO Group is ranked at a triple C. This is because of numerous alleged human rights abuses, improper governance structures, and just a general milieu of secrecy and non-disclosure. 
But this move against private prisons has been going on for a while. In 2016, Sally Yates, Obama's deputy attorney general, issued a memo calling to reduce and eventually end the use of private prisons in the U.S., an order that Trump's attorney general, Jeff Sessions, immediately rescinded in 2016. But anyway... Andrew is with us today because he just wrote about the private prison industry in an excellent industry report on the services industry, which you should definitely read if you have access because it's just superb. Andrew, can you first tell us why banks abandoning private prisons is such a problem for the companies due to their corporate structure? Um, So I think in 2014 or 13, uh, these companies restructured Uh, Geo Group and CoreCivic, both of them at the same time. They restructured to what's called a Real Estate Investment Trust, or REIT. Uh, It's a a very specific structure in the U.S., um, and uh, it's known as a a pass-through structure. So so that means that company profits pass through to the owners without incurring another layer of tax at the the company level. Rather, the tax is paid by the the owner. Um, So... What the companies did then from 2013 is not just run facilities, but also own facilities and build facilities. So these are now real estate companies building prison facilities um, and then operating them uh, through government contracts. So as you can imagine with the real estate business, um, it's a highly leveraged business and it depends on leverage um, for a very long time. So uh, the fact that that funding is... uh, is becoming more difficult for these companies um, means that instead of going through banks they might have to tap capital markets w- at higher rates um, it also represents uh, a maybe you can say an existential risk for the industry so this this business model has been kind of volatile for a while uh, the prison industry is just in general a difficult thing to run there's alleged human rights abuses there's issues with uh, uh, high recidivism rates. There's issues with mass incarceration. This is kind of around the world. There's a lot of discussions as to what's a prison for. Is it a, a rehabilitation center? Or is it a place to punish people? And there's just general disagreement throughout our political system as to how to run prisons. Did you expect this business model to become volatile from the political area where the conversation really centers itself or from another area? like the fact that banks did this. Was this expected or, or was it from policy that you thought these kind of derailments would come from? Well, you know, in our, in our ESG ratings model, our systematic model to assess um, prisons as well as their, their peer companies in the security space, these companies are consistently um, the worst in class uh, companies. In other words, triple C rated in our model. So how we assess that, how we analyze that, especially following the, the Sally Yates memo, was that you know the, these, uh, the industry might be in for a reckoning. Uh, something needs to change. They're going to, con- they're going to experience um, a lot of pressure um, from, from the stakeholders in the business, more transparent, more accountable for their, um, for their outcomes that the government wants, which is rehabilitation and recidivism. Um, but we did not see this actually coming from their uh, their banking partners, um, so these partners that have been with the companies uh, for very long uh, periods of time. And that's it. I know the second section was a bit short, but you'll just have to wait for the end of the month to get the full taste. I wanted to thank... 
Andrew and Bentley and Kevin and Kenji and Valina and everybody else that helped with this podcast and especially you for listening. I really appreciate it. If you like what you heard, please don't forget to rate and review and subscribe. It really helps. But have a great weekend and talk to you soon. The MSCI ESG Research Podcast is provided by MSCI Inc.'s subsidiary, MSCI ESG Research LLC, a registered investment advisor under the Investment Advisors Act of 1940. And this recording and data mentioned herein has not been submitted to and or received approval from the United States Securities and Exchange Commission or any other regulatory body. The analysis discussed should not be taken as an indication or guarantee of any future performance, analysis, forecast, or prediction. The information contained in this recording is not for reproduction in whole or in part without prior written permission from MSCI ESG Research. None of the discussion or analysis put forth in this recording constitutes an offer to buy or sell or a promotional recommendation of any security, financial instrument, or product or trading strategy. Further, none of the information is intended to constitute investment advice or recommendation to make or refrain from making any kind of investment decision and may not be relied on as such. The information provided here is as is, and the user of the information assumes the entire risk of any use it may make or permit to be made of the information. Thank you.